From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, January 11th. Coal-producing Emory County is one of the only regions in Utah to have seen a drop in population in the last decade. And those that remain have lost good-paying jobs as the state transitions away from coal. A new research facility wants to bring back revenue and jobs by experimenting with a number of new technologies. Justin Higginbottom looks at one of those projects, a type of nuclear reactor some think could be the future of power. It's the 1950s, the beginning of the Cold War, and American scientists have just developed an incredible new technology, something that could bring the world endless energy. So basically, nuclear energy is simply splitting uranium atoms to make heat, which then goes into heating up water, which then goes into creating steam, which then generates electricity via a turbine. And that's how we've conventionally done it for decades. That's Dr. Matthew Mehmet. He's an expert in nuclear power and professor at Brigham Young University. And he explains that there are downsides to this technology. Solid fuel rods heat up during the reaction. If they aren't cooled down, it's a problem. Those rods will continue to generate small amounts of heat forever. And it's not a lot of heat, but if you don't get rid of that heat, then the temperature of those rods will increase until they melt, and then it releases all of the radioactive stuff. This is what we refer to as a meltdown scenario. Then there's the waste. You have radioactive leftovers from the process, including some really heavy elements. Those last or are radioactive for 300,000 plus years. But this way to generate nuclear power using solid fuel rods isn't the only way. Molten salt reactors for the production of electrical power were studied at Oak Ridge National Laboratory from 1957 to 1960. That clip is from a 1969 film produced by Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee. And there, they had a different approach to nuclear energy. The molten salt fuel for this reactor is radically different from that used in solid fuel reactors. Instead of using solid fuel rods, the lab dissolved uranium directly into a salt. This was thought to be safer. There's no such thing as a meltdown accident anymore because you don't have solid fuel that can melt. Rather, it's dissolved in the salt, it's already liquid. You also get less of that dangerous radioactive waste, like plutonium. And what's left, the fission products, they're all floating in this salt. And it turns out the fission products are quite valuable, some of them. Like gold, platinum, and molybdenum-99. That's used in medical imaging and worth about $30 million a gram, according to Mehmet. So what does this have to do with coal-producing Emory County, Utah, population 10,000? The region has lost a lot as Utah transitions away from coal. Our attitude can't be, well, thanks Emory County, thanks Carbon County, thanks Sevier County, you've been great. We're, uh, we're just going to move on from you. We have to have the mindset of what can we do to ensure that your way of life can be maintained. That's Tom Carter. He's the director of the Governor's Office of Energy Development. And his department, along with Emory County commissioners, have a bet to help the region transition. In Orangeville, just down the street from two coal-fired power plants set to close in the coming decades, is the San Rafael Research Center. It's a space to test new technology, like molten salt nuclear reactors. And so by doing research in these communities, it allows us to better understand what is best for them and not be driven by political winds, but to help identify good technology, the access of time, um, and be driven by the markets so that everybody wins in the long run. 
the project could in time bring revenue from energy and medical isotopes, and it could bring jobs. It's received a state grant of $7 million, and the governor's office has applied for federal funds. Right now, the research space is being used for just that, research. But the thought is that focusing research here will give the community a leg up in applying the technology. So that when we get through the first hurdles to say, here's the fundamental research, now let's go to the demonstration scale. Now, now let's build a, a big plant. If you're participating in the beginning, it's easier to be participating at the end. And ultimately, we'd love to see those demonstrations come to Utah. That's Andrew Fry. He's an engineer and consultant at San Rafael. It's unclear if large numbers of new jobs will ever materialize, but so far, the center has hired locals. We employ former miners and other people already who are doing the grunt work on the research down there, and they're excellent at it because they know how to run big equipment. Emory County isn't the only place looking at this long-ignored nuclear technology. Canada's funding research and scientists in China are testing commercial-scale designs. But there are huge obstacles. This type of reactor has never been proven to work on a large scale, and it will take billions in investment. A report last year by the group Union of Concerned Scientists questions the reactor's relative safety. That report says there will still be potentially dangerous radioactive waste from the fission process to consider. But Dr. Mehmet, who founded a company to develop this technology, says he's optimistic, although perhaps a little biased. It, it could easily and quickly shift to being the dominant form of electricity production because of the fact that there's no emissions, there's no waste, you're making valuable things, and it's cheaper than everything else. There are some in Emory County who hope that if molten salt nuclear reactors are the future, then that future includes them. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. This story is part of a new Rocky Mountain Community Radio reporting collaboration on the transition away from fossil fuels. Masks, vaccines, variants, COVID. These words have been swirling about our day-to-day -day lives for nearly two years. So-called pandemic fatigue existed back then. So now there's really some pandemic fatigue. I, I can certainly tell you that <clears throat> it weighs quite a bit on me. Braden Bradford, health officer for the Southeast Utah Health Department. He covers Grand, Emory, and Carbon counties where transmission rates are currently high. The Omicron variant is much more transmissible than previous variants, and positive case counts are climbing locally. Two years ago, this situation might have triggered a public health order mandating social distancing or mask wearing in public spaces. That's certainly true in other parts of Utah, like Salt Lake and Summit counties, whose health departments recently enacted mask mandates in public and for schools. But locally, that's not the case. When Grand County students returned from winter break this month, they weren't required to wear a mask. And Bradford doesn't expect that to change for now. It's true that the mask mandate is not completely eliminated as a possibility, um, but I do feel strongly that, you know, after dealing with this for essentially two years, um, I, I wonder about the efficacy, the public health efficacy of mandates like that, like a mask mandate. It is my impression that um, when we put those in place, those that would already have a mask on are continuing to wear it. Those that don't want to wear it, don't wear it. 
two years into the pandemic, vaccines are widely available now. 67% of Grand County is fully vaccinated. That's the highest percentage in the Southeast Utah Health District. And vaccines are available for school-aged children, which plays into Bradford's decision to not renew mask mandates in 2022. As of early January, 22% of Grand County's 5 to 11-year-olds have had at least one dose of the vaccine. 47% of 12 to 18-year-olds have at least one dose. When I originally instituted the mask mandate, we focused on the the fact that we were going to keep that in place through the time that that it would take to have the vaccine available for school-aged children. And of course, that happened. And so I had indicated that as we came to 2022 school year, um, that, that it wouldn't go back into place. And, and unfortunately, we, we get hit with Omicron right as we roll back into school. Grand is in a different situation than other Utah health and school districts. Here, masks had been mandated consistently for local schools since 2020. Bradford says he recognizes there's mask mandate fatigue, but his decision to not continue requiring them in schools is really about vaccine availability and that Omicron appears to create less severe symptoms for the majority of cases and that public health orders are under scrutiny from the state level. The governor overrode a portion of Salt Lake County's most recent health order. You know, it, I certainly get your attention as a health officer when, you know, in Salt Lake they issue an order and then the governor basically overrides part of that order. It's telling to me that there's still kind of this legislative or gubernatorial override that's in place. This part is kind of a tricky message to, to convey. COVID continues to be a threat to our community, but realistically, we've always known that there was going to be a point where, as communities, it would become less and less important to focus on the number of cases, of sheer cases, um, because we would get to a point where the vast majority of those cases weren't medically significant. Bradford is hopeful that individuals at risk of more severe disease have had up to three doses of the vaccine as recommended. He also says that students are still encouraged to wear masks if they choose, especially well-fitting high-grade N95 or KN95 masks to protect against Omicron. But for now, there won't be a mandate to wear them. He says there is a different type of mandate at this point in the pandemic. It's not at this point so much a mask mandate. It's a Stay home when you're sick mandate. Get out of the public when you're sick. So to really impress upon individuals that principle and how important it is to personally adhere to that, then it it will help curb rapid spread. Vaccines and boosters are available locally. You can find more information and track COVID-19 case counts at seuhealth.com. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, January 11th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.